0: So, we're starting a new series today. Uh, There's lots of things that are starting uh, right around Apex right now. We have a new model of leadership team. We have been thinking and praying very much about the way in which the church is overseen, and we've been listening very carefully to the way in which the Lord seems to be speaking to a whole number of people about the way in which we're being called by God to to oversee the patterns and the processes, the community, and the life of Apex. And so, on a Thursday lunchtime, there's a Zoom meeting with a leadership team drawn from what was the elders team and the operations team, and it's about, I think about eight people, men and women, and uh, in general, in the future, they will not be couples on this occasion they are because that was just the way it turned out. We don't want it to become kind of a thing where where, you know, you kind of get a power base within within a particular family. We want it to be representative of the widest number of people within the church. And so in the coming years we will see people join the team and others leave. The longest period that you'll be on the leadership team is three years. The first iteration of the leadership team will mean that some people will leave next year and some people will leave in two years time so as to give opportunities for people to serve on the leadership team. How can you serve on the leadership team? If you're already leading at Apex. If you're leading something, then you're, you're more than, more than, um, what's the word I'm looking for? More than welcome to be part of the leadership team. We'll probably keep it to around about 10 people so as to facilitate effective communication and conversation. And as we go on through these next few weeks, we'll be publishing the new, if you like, framework for how that operates. I hope that encourages you. We've we've looked very carefully at what it is that the scriptures say, we've looked very carefully at what it is the Lord seems to be saying to the people of the body. And this is not a fixed reality, but something that is growing and evolving in our midst. And so I think it's gonna be tremendously exciting to see how the Lord will unfold that in the future. And we've got all kinds of other things that I'll mention towards the end of our wordworking. You've heard of woodworking? Well, this part is the word working bit. And um, it's a collaborative adventure. We need people to help with the microphones and I believe that James and Cindy are helping today. I don't know where Cindy is. I can't see her at the moment. She's right there, right in front of James. Yeah, there you go. So you can decide which one you want. I think this microphone's slightly better, so you could fight over that if you wanted to. Okay. And the only reason I think it's slightly better is if you look at it carefully, it's got a little red, little red kind of gore. It's really kind of cool. Anyway. So um, that's just me being weird. So there's two microphones and there's a whiteboard. Now. We've been seeing people help me with the whiteboard during the wordworking uh, component of our time together, so I'd love to continue to do that. Some of you put your names forward as members of a kind of an emerging wordworking team, but I wonder whether there's somebody here today who's prepared to write principally in capitals, in letters that are as maybe as large as four inches high so that everybody can come on then. Stephanie, come and join me. See, all I needed was to keep on describing it until somebody was into it. Come on! So Stephanie, part of the problem is is that you have to stand here whilst I'm doing the introduction, but you'll be all right, won't you? So if you go on this side, are you left-handed? I am right-handed. You're right-handed, okay, hard luck. Sorry about that. We normally only allow left-handed people on that side of the board, but you know, okay, I could get a (laughs) left-handed one, but we'll, we'll stay with what we've got. Okay, so we got Philippians. If you turn to the book of Philippians, we'll, we'll put the screen up in a moment. Um, not, the, not, the, uh, not the screen that talks about DBC, but not that one. The Philippians chapter one, there we go. So, Philippians. Let's just do a quick intro so that we've got ourselves all at the same level. Everybody knows where we are. Philippians is a book written by the Apostle Paul from house arrest... In Rome, at the end of his third missionary journey, Paul was in Jerusalem and was accused of being a rebel, a renegade, an insurrectionist. He was arrested by the Roman authorities, and although the Roman authorities wanted to release him, the people who wanted to kill him they thought it'd be a good idea for him to be released so that they could kill him. the people who, the people who wanted to, um, to kill him maintained their position that this was a person who should be tried in court. Paul knowing that he would not get a fair trial in Jerusalem made his appeal to Caesar. He was a Roman citizen that meant that the highest court in the land the court overseen by Caesar himself was something that he could appeal to and so sure enough they put him on a boat he had lots of adventures we looked at that at the end of of our studies in the Acts of the Apostles and so when you open your app and you go to that, you can find it. Just go to the end of the Acts of the Apostles and uh, around about 28 and you'll, you'll see all that stuff in there. Paul arrives eventually in Rome. He's having to pay for and support himself in the several years that it took to get an audience with Caesar. And during that time, perhaps Luke, one of his team, began gathering and compiling the documents that became Luke's Gospel, and the Acts of the Apostles. Often when you're reading Luke and when you're reading Acts you get a sense that this is a document for the defense of Paul in Rome and what it's doing is it's revealing that the things that they said about Jesus that led to his unjustified death are the same things that they're saying about Paul and of course they're looking for a similarly unjustified end to Paul's life. Paul is in, is in Rome, he's engaging with the people of the household of Caesar, he's talking to the people who visit him, and he's receiving gifts to help support and sustain him whilst, whilst he's under house arrest. One of the gifts that is sent to him is from the church in Philippi. Now the church in Philippi was a church that began in an interesting way. It began with a woman who was a trader, a businesswoman, in the world of high fashion. High fashion in those days was called dealers in purple cloth. But be be clear, she was a person who was functioning in the world of high fashion, and in her household, all of her staff and her extended family were committed to this particular task. Paul, when he came to Philippi, the first city in Europe that he reached after leaving Asia and Asia Minor he he got to Philippi and discovered that there was no synagogue and that the people there didn't speak Greek, they mostly spoke Latin the reason for that is that Philippi had a long and illustrious martial history military history The, uh, the, the king Philip who it was named for was the father of Alexander the Great and so the So the the Macedonian empire that then became the Greek empire that then became the greatest empire under Alexander the Great started there in Philippi. And so this was a place of real significance because even Julius Caesar wanted to emulate the life of Alexander the Great and, and saw him as his great model in military and political leadership. So much so that when the great showdown came after Julius Caesar's death, Antony, one of the the conspirators in his death, and Octavius, his new adopted son, met with their armies at Philippi. Octavius won, Antony fell on his sword, Octavius renamed himself Caesar Augustus and was the Caesar when Jesus was born. So this is an amazingly important place. So cool is this place to military people that when the legionnaires got to the end of their military service and were given opportunities to take land in different parts of the in different parts of the empire they took land around Philippi this was their place where they retired. This was the place of lots of disposable income. When you go to Philippi today you'll find ruins and the ruins are of casinos, I mean the casinos of those days, casinos and, and, and uh, kind of leisure facilities like swimming pools and, and steam rooms. It's a place that was just entirely designed for soldiers and they loved it. So this is the place that Paul arrives at. The woman who's dealing with all of that disposable income as much as she possibly can to get it off as many soldiers as she can, is a lady called Lydia. And she and the women of her household have come to a knowledge of the God of the Bible. Women at the time were subjugated both in in Greece and in Rome. And so the cultures were not at all deferential towards women. And so women who became entrepreneurial and businesslike were quite unusual and often were very fierce characters. They had to not go through a glass ceiling, they had to go through concrete floors to be able to get to what it was that they were doing. And so Lydia is this amazing person who, when she hears the good news of Jesus through Paul and his team, says, why don't you baptize us now? We're ready to rock and roll. And, as you've got nowhere to live, come and live with us. Now, four male missionaries turn up in Dayton. And their first convert is a lady dealing in high fashion, darling. House full of models. I don't know, do you think it'd go over well if those missionaries lived with that person? It says in the text, eventually she persuaded us. I don't know what levels of, of the powers of persuasion that she needed to convince the Apostle Paul, but she did. And probably the main reason is this, that Luke and he, because Luke records it in his gospel, knew that Jesus said, when you go to a place and are welcomed, stay with them. And he doesn't specify who or what or how. You just says, stay with them and receive what it is that they offer you. And so sure enough, Paul, knowing that this is the Lord's will, and even though it's really unconventional, decides to go and live in that home. And that's the first home. The second home, after he's arrested, you'll need to look at the passage yourself, after he's arrested and put in prison, is the home of the prison jailer, who is, again, a military man from the ranks of the Roman legions. This church with its two congregations supported Paul as he went south through Greece to plant churches in different parts of the Greek peninsula and were real friends to him in many, many different ways. Now he's incarcerated under house arrest in Rome. They've sent him a gift and he's writing a letter back to them to say thank you. That's the book of Philippians. And we'll get into it. And it's amazing. There's, there's things that are so high in Revelation that it takes your breath away when you read it, especially as you get into chapters two and three. Okay, so that's what we're doing. We're going to read right now from um, the first chapter. And uh, we're going to read from the first 11 verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. okay let's just read that through quietly most of you know the way to do this now we try to give attention to God in this in this portion of our worship and in the quiet just read through and ask yourself this what is it in the passage that's highlighted to me those of you who are familiar with this will know that that's the Holy Spirit prompting you if this is the first time you've done it don't worry about all of that Just look at the thing that you think is the most interesting. And we'll give you some more directions in a moment. Let's just have a couple of minutes to look at that together. something, see something, just share with one other person that's near you. If you're separated on a pew then just turn around and find somebody and just share with them the thing that's highlighted to you in the passage. Go ahead, just do that. Make sure both of you share and we can do this on the shelf or down here as well. That's what we call you up there by the way. So just turn to the person next to you, share with them. Okay, so everybody shared one to the other? Cindy's on this side. James, are you on this side? Oh, you're still talking. Sorry, still working out what the highlight is. Yeah. All right, let's do this. So this is what we do here uh, during the the the, wood, the woodworking the wordworking uh, part of the uh, part of the worship. I'll be sharing my reflections in just a moment, but right now it would be great if we could hear from all of the body. What is it that you're seeing in the text? So let's put our hands up. If you're seeing things in the text that you think is interesting or things that you think, you know, that's causing me to question some stuff. So over here and then over here. Go for it. Tell us who you are and then tell us what you got. My name is Adrian and what stood out to me was verse 7. That... um, whether we're in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, we all share in in God's grace. So we all Mm. get God's grace uh, no matter what. Mm -hmm, I love that. Okay, this is my, she's my side. She's my side. You can have them on that side. Yeah. So from now on guys, if we can have more people on this side. So, um, So God's grace in every circumstance is that is that okay there Adrian? Yes. great lovely what about this side Steph wants to hear somebody oh right there go tell us who you are tell us what you got hi I'm Rebecca um, so the verse that stuck out to me the most are verses 9 and 10 um, it talks about our love abounding more and more but then it adds like a couple things to that knowledge and discernment so that you may prove what is excellent Mm. and it strikes me as not a soft delicate sort of love a confirming affirming sort of love necessarily but it's gritty and it's iron sharpening iron because you Mm. need that knowledge and discernment so that you can truly love your brothers and sisters I love it put gritty love down is that good we know what we mean by it we love that (laughs) got a bit of gritty love sounds like a rock band Hi, my name's Tim. Hello, Tim. Um, So the thing that struck me is, kind of starting in verse five, um, he talks about this partnership in the gospel with the Philippians. And I just thought that was cool he used like the word partnership because this is Paul. He's kind of a big deal. And these are just some ordinary Christians um, and he's partners with them. He's not some like lording it over kind of thing. Right, right, yeah. So shall I say, equal partnership. Is that right? Partner. is an R in there somewhere, doesn't it, Steph? Yeah, there you go. Equal partnership. Is that alright, Tim, to say that? Kind of gets it. What about over here? Right there. So my name's uh, Josh, and I really like in verse 6 the fact that the uh, work that's being completed is not responsibility of us or others that it's being completed kind of by the Lord for his purposes so I I really like that part so it's God that's completing the work and not us is that the way to put it yeah God is completing the work and not us (laughs) that's good Josh and James are good friends and so they're allowed to Josh around with each other Um, I I don't know where Cindy is you're right there and then we got Rebecca over here after that Cindy so okay. tell us who you are I'm Katie
1: hey. um,
0: I think what stood out to me um, is the fruit of righteousness and but the following thing sometimes we forget that it comes through Jesus Christ so I think sometimes we put the burden on ourselves that we have to be this or do this or act mm-hmm. this way to be good Christians or um, behave but really we need to rely on the Holy Spirit and through Christ for that to be manifest in us. Yeah, so let me let me just kind of work with you on that one. So the idea then is the things that are good that we do are not generated by our personal goodness, but they're generated from the goodness of Jesus and that when we're in relationship with him, the goodness of Jesus comes to us and then through us. Is that about right? Absolutely. <laughs> cool. I'm going to put that up. That's like proper theology. Um, so Goodness to us and through us. Okay, those of you who are English scholars, I'm just going to put it as T H R U. I know it's not the proper spelling. Through us from Jesus. Good word. Love it. What about over here? Oh, hi. Um, hi, I'm, I'm Ruth. And this Hello, Ruth this might be a little shallow, but I was struck by how many times he uses the word all. It's like he's yeah. got exclamation points all the way through this. It's all of you, all of the remembrances, all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just think how great that this first stop on his journey was such a positive experience for him. Do you know what? That is not a shallow thing at all. That's a really deep thing. Thank you for that. That's great. All, all in all. I don't know how you're going to put that up there, Steph it's all you got it it's a. Oh, God, it's about all of us she's got it she's got it oh there, right, there we are tell us who you are rebecca hello hello say hi to rebecca she's often up here like this she's only <laughs> new to us but she's kind of really into this so go i'm for very it, rebecca. very extroverted as you know um i was just going to tag off of what the other gentleman i can't remember his name now sorry said Gosh. about um the completing that he completes the good work i'm reading the english standard version and it says Um, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I like that because it's like, I just feel like growing up in the church so many times, I felt like fail, 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 fail. And it's like, oh, well, really? I mean, till the day of Jesus Christ, I mean, that's when it's completed. That's when he's going to finish it. That's when we're going to see ourselves as that new creation in him instead of, you know, you you can't just... Anyway, just to I tag on that. To that. So here's the thing then. So we're beginning to hear that this journey of faith is not something that you believe in intellectually and then pull yourself up by your bootstraps on the basis of what it is that you believe. What it is, is connecting with Jesus. He gives you the goodness and even in the midst of failure is committed to completing the work in our lives isn't that amazing do you know what that's called it's called grace and grace is called good news turn to your neighbor and say it's good news I love it I love it completion by Jesus in can I just put his time I mean I know that it's got a eschatological frame to it but it's like that's what you're basically saying isn't it? He's doing it and he's going to complete it in his time. Awesome. I think we've got a couple more that we can get in. Right there Christina. Hi I'm Christina. Uh, The thing that stood out to me is Paul's leadership and his perspective towards this group of people. Like over and over again, he says, "I'm so grateful when I think about you, mm. and I have so much joy, and I long to be with you, and I think about the areas of leadership in my life with our staff and our small business, or with my children. Often, it's a bit of a slug, or I, I'm focusing okay. on the yeah. negative things. But right. how much he was filled by the Holy Spirit in his leadership, that yeah. he had that much joy and that much love. It wasn't yeah. a burden. I'm sure that there were lots of problems. Yeah, but mm-hmm. um, that that love." For For his people, really had to be from the Lord for it to be so. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? And how how about this, Christina? When you look at him saying, you know, "I, I long for you with the affection of Christ, I love you, all of these things, and he begins with, I thank God for you. So it's almost like by getting your perspective right, by thanking God for them, all of that stuff begins to flow. Yeah? So now we're beginning to get an idea of what it is that we're hearing through the crowd here is Jesus is the one who's completing the work and, you know, we can just kind of sit there in our lounge chair and say, well, sure, thanks very much. Maybe the thing that we're being called to do is to look to him with thanksgiving and that's beginning to open the gates of grace that mean that all of those good things are flowing, including our attitude towards other people. Yeah? That sounds like a kind of connection to me. Does that sound like right to you? Yeah? yeah. yeah? Cool. Yeah, lovely. No No. No lowercase. <laughs> <No one said. laughs> okay, over here. Okay, my name's Laura and I thought it was really neat that he said that your love may abound more and more so that you may be able to discern what's best and pure so that yeah. as his as Your love grows it then you're getting more discernment so that you're able to Mm. have more knowledge and be able to decide what's better yeah that's good isn't it so here's the thing here's the thing Mm -hmm. Paul is saying that we can make a discernment not if we're clever but if we're loving isn't that interesting And he's asking not for a little bit of love, but he's saying abounding love. So the more love you have, the more discerning you become. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Very, very good. more love means more discernment. I think we're there. Um, Anybody else desperate to say something? We've opportunistically got one over this side. We've got an opportunistic one on this side. Okay, well, I'll flip you for it. Okay. Uh (laughs) Okay, go for it, James. Yeah, I'm Joan, and Laura basically said what I was going to say, except it's discernment and knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's love that's the generator of both, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic very very good discernment we just got it squeaked on the bottom of the board thank you Joan you put both sides okay so we'll have a vote as to who wrote better (laughs) 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 she what's yours you're right okay that's great round of applause to Steph good job thanks for everybody joining in great day today, looking at that work in the Word there. So, what is, it that, um, what is it that I feel as though is important? Well, to be honest with you, what you've said is important is what I felt was really significant as I was reading it through. Those of you who want to see how it is that the, that the thoughts are formed and, and how they come out through times of prayer... If you want to join us for daily prayer at 8.30, some people join at that point because they could get to their work desk and they can join us by Zoom. Most people join us by Zoom. There's a few people that come in the building. But at 8.30, 8.30 till 9, we go all the way through our time of prayer, beginning with Thanksgiving, pray for lots of different things, sometimes big global things, sometimes local individual things. But at the end of the time, I usually read the passage that we're gonna be looking at the next Sunday and just give two minutes reflection. And I find that doing that in community, doing that with a group of people praying has been the best way for me to prepare for Sundays for the last 35 years. And that's pretty much what I've done every day for 35 years. So as I've been looking at it this week, thinking it through, sharing it with others, hearing their responses, my sense was this, that Paul understood the nature of giving gifts in a completely different way to most people, including most churches. So his understanding of giving resources to one another is not out of... A sense of dire need in the other person—that's appropriate. He does make—he does make a, a kind of a, a, a gathering of of money for people who are in famine conditions in the in the cities around Jerusalem, and he takes that money with him at the end of one of his missionary journeys. So that's that's appropriate on occasions, but in the general sweep of things, that's not the way that he's thinking. He's not thinking about meeting a specific need. He's not talking about donating to a cause. So, of course, he has a huge cause. The cause of the kingdom of God here on earth and the making of disciples from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's a great cause. There's no greater cause than that. But he's not asking for donations to a cause. He's not asking for contributions to a task. He has a huge task. And he knows that the task that he has is, in human terms, insurmountable. And so, of course... His natural tendency, like all human beings, would be maybe I can get somebody to contribute so that the task is made more simple and perhaps more straightforward. But it's not contributions to a task. So it's not not giving to a specific need. That that may come up from time to time. And that's not actually uh, what the usual word for giving is referred to, that's, a, that's an offering, it's not a tithe. General giving is not, is not giving to a specific need. It's not donating to a cause. It's not contributing to a task. Interesting, isn't it? So what is it? giving of your money time and effort is partnering in the gospel isn't that interesting it's partnering in the gospel now all of you who've been around for long enough to hear me speak on several occasions will know that one of the the driving impulses of my call into missionary leadership throughout my whole adult life has been the fundamental understanding that every person on the planet is equal in the eyes of God and that every redeemed person in whom the spirit of the living God has taken up residence because they bowed the knee to the lordship of Jesus and received the forgiveness of sins that comes only through him. All of us are equal. We have different jobs, we have different roles, we have have different things that, that God may give us to do in the short term or the long term. But there is no distinction between us. There is no turning of God from one person to another to show favoritism everything that Jesus achieved in his life and everything that Jesus called for from his disciples is equally distributed because it's immeasurable it's immeasurable in its capacity to meet the absolute extent of everyone's need that ever lived or ever will live Everybody in this place is equal with everyone else. And some of the ways in which we're representing that is, that is that communities on mission, that used to be called house churches, communities on mission are the ways in which we function. So, so church is not about Sundays. Church is about being in community and Sundays are a representation of that community. And people orbit through. It, it, it's of really no interest to me how many times you come. It is of interest to me that you do come sometimes because if you don't ever come into the physical reality of the community that you're part of, you're missing something. But for those of you who are online, there's no distinction between you or us in terms of what it is that you're able to receive from God. And there's no distinction from my point of view either. We're able to function as a single community and that, that in its practical sense is revealed in the different communities and as you open up your app you'll see the different communities that are going on and you'll see the community that you're probably part of. It's really important that we understand that partnership in what it is that God is doing here is going to be made manifest In fellowship. In fact, the word partnership that Paul uses there is the word koinonia, which reveals the very, if you like, fabric of what it means to be connected to one another in the call to make community. So that's foundational, it's fundamental to to what we are here at Apex. But as the Lord works through these communities, then certain things will begin to happen. So, some of the things that have begun to happen have happened amongst young people. It's been exciting for me to see how the student work, the college student work, has begun to emerge. And they've taken an old boomer's name for it Friday Night Lights. They, they only did that just to be nice to me. It's been great to see that emerging. And um, we, were, we were meeting just the other day and there's, uh, there's no money in the kitty for the pizzas. And I looked at my giving account. See, what I do every month or every time I get paid is I look at the amount that I get paid and I take 10% of that and I put it in my giving account. It's a very simple thing to do these days because you've got an app and you just put it in your giving account and then that giving account becomes the place where you can begin the patterns and processes of generosity. Of course, uh, generosity is not, is not defined or exhausted by the money that you put in your giving account, but, but that's what I do. I, I have that little giving account, and um, we didn't have any uh, money for the pizzas that week, so I looked at my giving account, sure, let's do that. So I go down to Old Scratch and we buy the pizzas. It's great. And we buy them from old scratch because they have the best gluten-free, which means I don't die when I eat the pizza. I love that. And then there's a couple of other things that have begun to happen. Deborah with her team of people, principally represented by her husband, Greg, have taken possession of this food truck, which is, I mean, it's so indistinguishable, you'd never even notice it on the street except for the fact that it's bright orange so there's this there's this food truck and Greg has spent all of this time and energy and he's really expert at these things refitting the thing I mean it's got a it's got a wood-fired pizza oven you imagine got a wood-fired pizza oven it's got all kinds of really useful equipment it's got great sides and 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 stainless steel this that and the other it looks awesome Deborah is wanting to start the work. Now, we've got a few little kind of um, legal things that we've got to work out with Kettering, but I, they'll, they'll be just incidental along the way. She's wanting to go to communities all around the Miami Valley area, give food. People can donate to pay for the food or even pay it forward. But the food is free, and food is so fundamental to the revelation that there is in the Bible that of course what she's expecting is the things that happened in the Bible to start happening there. I've said this many many times I'll say it again if you take the mealtimes and the mountaintops out of the Bible it's about 50 pages long. Almost everything that happened that was important happened at a mealtime or on a mountain. And so meal times are enormously significant. Enormously important. And Deborah and her team are gonna go and take meal times to just every community you can think of. And what will that do? Well, here's the thing it's particularly true of pizza. You have to put your weapons down to eat. So you become less defensive you become less conservative, you become less guarded, and you begin to share and open up. I had some friends around to my house last night. The person who kind of made it possible was a guy called Roma, who I met in Starbucks a few months ago, and he and I have been meeting in Starbucks to do a Discovery Bible study on a Friday ever since. He introduced me to his sister, Oksana, and her partner, Tommy, We went round to their place for dinner. It was fantastic. I I invited them back to my place for dinner last night. Do you know the only thing we talked about? The only thing we talked about? Have a guess. Politics, no. Religion, no. The spiritual life. that's That's all anybody wanted to talk about. Isn't that interesting? And I mean, I didn't set it up. I didn't say, "Okay, uh, we've had uh, we've had the hors d'oeuvres, so now we need to start talking about Jesus." That's this is what they wanted to do. So Deborah's got this thing rolling, and she she said to me last week. She says, "You know, I've got to get this thing." That she, I've got. I don't, have, I don't have any money to go and buy the food. So I looked at my giving account, and I thought. hmm, It wasn't exhausted by buying pizza. Maybe I can help. Just so happened that Jess, her daughter, was around at the time and she said, oh, by the way, Mike, you you know the thing that we've been praying about? It looks like it's going to happen. Well, the thing that we've been praying about, Jess has this work of art therapy that she takes to all of this area. Some people who engage with it are people who are recovering from all kinds of trauma and significant events in their life and many people who don't know that they're recovering from those things find the therapeutic environment that she creates with her team to be of such significance to them that they want to come back again and again and you'll start to see if you look carefully mosaics in lots of different places like like at Kettering Hospital where people have gathered together in community and they're creating these mosaics as a symbol and as a sign of being brought to a particular moment in their life and wanting to record and celebrate it. One most recently was was celebrating those who were in the front line of the COVID crisis and those who lost their lives. Jess is doing an amazing job in this. And we've been talking and praying and saying, hey, you know, what, what do you think? She said, the thing I want to see is that people who are incarcerated, who are perhaps making steps out into the free world, who obviously because of, because of good behavior and because the, the fulfillment of their debt to society is drawing to a close, she said, I'd love to begin to create halfway house relationships with people so that as those those inmates begin to step into the outside world they've got relationships with people who tell them that they're worth more than the things that they've been told earlier on in their life i said i'd love to see that what 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 needs to happen she said well the big one is Montgomery County's got to go for it. Well, we went around that mountain a couple of times, nothing happened. She went back just last week and they said, okay, we'll do it. And so, people beginning to make their journey into active engagement with the community, having paid their debt to society, are gonna come to Apex Building and this is what they say. This is this is what Jess says, and this is what the authorities say. We would love for the members of Apex to sit with them, to do mosaics with them, to talk to them, and to pray with them. Do you think anybody could do that? Do you think that's, is there anything anybody got any resistance to that? Now, it may not be the thing that you want to do. That's fine. There's going to be lots of smelly people. They may not be the kind of people that you spend a lot of time with. They may not be the people that you would greet in the street with a hug. But what an opportunity to go from the margins and bring people to the center of what it is that God's doing. Don't you think that's fun? I love it. You see, for me, giving time and money and energy is about partnering with what it is that you can see God doing. How do you get to see what God's doing? What does it say that God is in the Bible? God is... Everybody get that? Say it a bit louder. God is... And as we heard in our word working time there, as we're connecting to Jesus the goodness in him is flowing to us, first to, to demonstrate and to set us free from the penalty of sin in our life so that we're forgiven, and then to give us the new life that will last forever, and physical death will only be a step along the way to engaging with the life that God has for us for all eternity. And so, And so this this connection with Jesus, this relationship with Jesus where he comes to dwell in us by his spirit means that we have the resources of God and if God is... He is. Joseph, buddy. If God is... Then the big resource that's coming to us is what? So Paul prays. Paul prays. He says, you know what? It's like... It's like there are sluice gates. It's like there are sluice gates in heaven. Do you know what a sluice gate is? Never heard of a sluice gate. mean you? you're shaking your head. Have you been to, anybody ever seen a dam? Seen a dam? Yeah? Don't shake your head, you've seen a dam. So you see a dam, and when the water behind the dam gets too high, where it'll overflow, they open sluice gates and it causes a giant flood. Now, generally what they do is they they contain it so that it doesn't wash everybody away. But these sluice gates are the things that release the resources that are stored up behind the dam wall. Yes, you're allowed to say dam wall in church. It's okay. So here is Paul, and he's praying, and he says, you know... I think it'd be great if you just got a little trickle of love. Maybe a drip, drip, drip of love every day. How glorious. How wonderful. Make sure you hold that little drip in your hands. No. He says, let's. Pray that the sluice gates of heaven are opened on you so that you receive a superabundance of love. Yeah. The word in Greek means superabound. That means however far you can jump, bound, love will be. Ahead of you because it superabounds. So you can jump in the other direction of God. And some days I know we do. But His love will superabound. And this is what Paul says. He says, I want you to receive from the floodgates of heaven such a superabundance of love that your life and therefore your perception of life is defined by that love. That love defines you to such an extent that your knowledge and your discernment of what it is that you should do is defined by that love. Paul wants these folks to continue making decisions about who they partner with and how they partner and what resources they need to release to be in partnership On the basis of love. Don't you love that? It's not the basis of need. It's not the basis of expectation. It's not the basis of religious observance. It's not the basis of legalistic righteousness. It's on the basis of love. So, one of the things that we say in leadership team is, you know, how are we doing financially? Yeah? Terribly. Now, do we have reserves? Yeah. Why have we got reserves? Because God's good. He's kind to us. And he's made sure that people in previous generations of apex congregations have set aside enough to get us through this incredibly important time of coming out of COVID and redesigning the church so that the church is defined by partnership and not by team of staff. It's hugely important. And of course, you've been looking and listening and thinking and worrying maybe about what's going on at Apex and have they got it together or are they all crazy? I don't think they're all crazy, but we do look like we're getting it together now. It does feel like all of that wrestling, all of that giving birth is coming to a conclusion And it really feels like all of the things that we've been looking for and longing for, the kind of representation of of being able to reach out with the good news of the gospel through Dayton Women in the Word, through the coffee collab food truck, through the work amongst incarcerated people. There's so many ways in which God is working through the communities on mission, what we need is the congregation to believe that the love that's in their hearts is enough for them to discern and decide how to partner I'm just going to leave it with you because it's not about what I need and it's not about what I want it's about what is it that God is raising up here for us to partner in are we good with that? Let's pray.